Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 111, where we will be covering chapters 67 through 76 of Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer. That's right. And on our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 77 through 87. That will be the end of part three. Wrapping you know it up, that's baby. when it gets real. Oh, man. Part Goodness. four. Our spoiler policy is that Liz has read everything in print ever. <laughs> I've read shit. <laughs> so we will not spoil anything beyond chapter 76 of Oathbringer. So, had some big plot moments. St- Stuff happened. The the stone is starting to roll down the hill plot-wise. Starting to gather up friction. Indeed. Starting to spark and... Things are really heating up. <laughs> so, chapter 67? Chapter 67. Let's jump into it. Let's. Chapter 67 is called Mishim. Vale heads out to try and find information about the city's grain handouts. Not surprisingly, there's some shady shit going on. She's taken aback when she runs into Wit, who recognizes her immediately, despite her disguise. She listens to him tell a story about ancient Natanatan before he convinces her to buy him lunch. Buy me lunch! Which he then makes her eat. I mean, it's kind of a fantasy of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have found that one away. My first comment is, A day after being murdered in a brutal fashion, Shallan found that she was feeling much better. The sense of oppression had left her, and even her horror seemed distant. What lingered was that single glimpse she'd seen in the mirror. Baby bangs. Oh, oh God, that was... If if any of you lived through the early 2000s, (laughs) our kids have no idea. The horror of baby bangs. They're coming back. I just like that she used it as a, an excuse to go shopping. You know what? Good for You her. know what? I was almost murdered. I'm going shopping. Well, you know, when you got one outfit and it's you bled on it. I mean, true. I feel like that's a pretty legit reason. But she's in a tailor's shop. Yeah, fair point. Hey, no judgment, Shalon. I think in all the Shalon chapters that we've, that we've covered, it's so cool to watch the the progressing delineation between the personalities. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some really neat stuff that goes on with Shalon here in this kind of arc that we see. So we see her thinking about like, Shalon doesn't carry food, but Vale knows the importance of having something to chew on. And uh, Vale is getting much better at this going out by herself thing. And um, what, what I really picked out in this chapter was Vale still thinks of her brother's as her brothers. There's they're not yeah, mm-hmm. completely separate people. It's just kind of different aspects of the same person and personality, but she she doesn't think of Shalon's brothers as being Shalon's brothers not hers. That was actually a note that I had made. Uh, the quote here is someone needed to do something. Vale needed to do something. Infiltrating the cult of moments suddenly seemed too abstract. Couldn't she do something directly for these poor people except she hadn't even been able to save her own family. 
she had no idea what Marais had done with her brothers, and she refused to think about them. And it's it's just a note that those sorts of that sort of a common touchstone, without regard to what personality it is, is that you know is that a positive sign? I think it is. The other character that I noted something about in this chapter was Elicar, because he's definitely progressing on some kind of arc mm-hmm. as well. And he talks in this chapter about his marriage to Asudan. And he, well, first of all, he's still refusing to believe that there's anything wrong with her, that it's the this influence of the Spren. And it comes out that he married her against Yasna's wishes, which is no surprise because we know that Yasna uh, planned to have her killed at some point. Mm-hmm. But that he said he needed someone strong. So he you know, picked a, a wife who was going to henpeck him, <laughs> I guess. I guess, yeah. But he asked for feedback on his plan, so we definitely see him developing as a leader here. So, yeah, that was one of my notes as well. I noted that Adolin, you know, compliments him. He says simply, nice work. And as a result of that, Elicar beams and he drew a glory sprint. And notably, it says, quote, notably, it didn't seem different from ordinary ones. Mm-hmm. Sit down, boys and girls, and let old Hoy tell you a story. <laughs> a story about the moon. Shine that I buried here at the bottom of this wall. <laughs> so we have Hoyd and another story within a story. Yes. I know how you love the story within a story. I do. This is a story within a story with a moral. And the moral is you can't trust the moon. The moon will fuck you. She will fuck you. She is a shady, shady bitch. (laughs) Right? Why do we only have one moon? Huh? What happened to the other two moons? Mm. Was it murder? Moonder? Oh, no. Stop. Back it up right there. (laughs) So what I actually thought was the most interesting part of that whole interaction was what happens right at the end of the chapter Mm -hmm. or actually leading up to it when he's uh, in the middle of the story he looks over at his pack as though like Mm -hmm. he's forgotten something or he's checking on something he acknowledges shallan even though he even though she's in veil's outfit right and then at the end of the chapter he has this weird jar with this weird black and white slime in it and i'm like Fucking slime. Fucking slime. God, I hate slime. <laughs> oh, it's evil. I don't know what's in that jar, but it's evil. It's <laughs> fucking evil. It's going to get all over our couch. <laughs> and all of our kids' hair and clothes. <laughs> Everything. <slime>. Jesus. <laughs> our kids made slime last weekend and added acrylic paint. <laughs> And it was possibly the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they just took it around and started slinging at each other, laying, leaving it on Oh, counters. there was a friend over who brought some of the slime home to her house. Yeah. <laughs> I can't look that mom in the eye ever again. <laughs> it just kept on giving. Chapter 68 is called Aim for the Sun. Shalon eats Wit's lunch. He spills quite a bit of tantalizing information about himself and gives her a suggestion for how she might infiltrate the cult, but ultimately tells her that he's not here to help her. I have my own reasons. I am a self-actualized immortal being. Indeed. 
It's not all about you, damn it. So we get quite an info dump about Hoyd. He decides he wants to talk about himself. So lots of notes in this chapter. We're all, at this point, Hoyd's kind of been dangled in front of us, just this this tasty morsel, and, and we just get to gobble it up. with Yeah, with random, mysterious things that, once again, aren't explained. Just left there. But we have to note them, because if we're going to read the rest of the Cosmere, and it's okay if you don't, we, I mean, me and the other... People who are going to read the rest of the Cosmere. I was going to say Dukies, who are out there. <laughs> that is a terrible, terrible term. We're trying it out. No, we're not. <laughs> we tried it out, and it, it stinks like its namesake. <laughs> uh, on the Facebook group page, some of our, our listeners were talking about what the name for our listeners should oh, be. Oh, no. And someone suggested Dukies. Oh, I don't I don't think so. I'm calling them Dukies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man, I don't know. So Hoyt says, I'm not stupid enough to get mixed up in religion again. The last seven times I tried were all disasters. There's at least one God still worshiping me by accident. I just like, I can't wait to hear that backstory. That's got to come out one day. I know. He also says, some men, as they age, grow kinder. And then he's like, yeah, but not me. Uh, some men grow wiser. He says again, not me. And uh, he says, some men grow cynical. And he says, again, that's not him. But then he says about himself, other men as they age grow stronger. And then he says that he is the bones of a foreign species left drying. He's a curiosity. He's way older than the heralds. And he tells us that he made a vow when he was young to be always be there when needed. But then he points out that really that's pretty easy to do because he's always somewhere when he's needed. Yeah. <laughs> It's very much like the doctor. And in Doctor yeah. Who, you know, the doctor travels around and always ends up where he or she is supposed to be, but doesn't necessarily know why. So he tells Shalon, this is that's kind of his this situation. He shows up, he knows he's supposed to be here for something. He doesn't think it really has anything to do with her. The the comment that I noted uh, was this when he said, some men as they age grow kinder. I am not one of those, for I have seen how the Cosmere can mistreat the innocent. Mm. And that leaves me disinclined towards kindness. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, that 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 makes me not like you. I see, and I don't think you're supposed to like him. I think this is the part where Brandon Sanderson tells us, this is not the archetypical good guy wizard who's going to come in as this magical being and be completely benevolent. So we're, I, I really loved that part because I loved that we're getting hinted at that he's not necessarily on our protagonist's side. He's not necessarily, he's not a paladin, you know? He's not that. And we don't know, and, and we've had his motivations teased out through the series of letters, but we don't really know what they are. And he's told Dalinar not to trust him. He's told several, in fact, most... Uh, times we see him having an intimate conversation with any of the characters, he's told that person not to trust him and that he's not necessarily a good guy or a good person, which I kind of like. One other note I had here is he says to Shalon, shame about the dark hair. Your natural red would be arresting with that white coat. She responds, this guy's is supposed to be less memorable than that. But she did choose to walk around like Fifth Avenue, Carmen, San Diego. <laughs> right. 
Hey, you know, maybe Roshar, a lot of people dress like that. Less memorable. <laughs> Hoyt also says that the the group, the worshiping the Spren group, reminds him of a group he knew long ago. And he tells her that the unmade in the city is called the Heart of the Revel. Another thing I forgot to mention in the last chapter, while he was telling the story and he was doing this sort of smoke kind of magic thing mm-hmm. um, as like a visual aid, I guess. And Shalon said that she thought what he was doing wasn't like surge binding. She said it seemed more organic. And that just made me think of Warbreaker. And we've already had several ties to Warbreaker in this book, but the stories that he told in Warbreaker and that whole uh, magic system being very organic, uh, very tied to the body and the earth and that kind of thing and and plants and flowers, I thought that was worthy of noting. And also driven by colors. Yes. The other thing I had is when we were talking about the cult, uh, just going back a second, you know, when they were talking about the partying um, and, you know, the heart of Revel. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting a, a little bit more information about who this unmade is and sort of what their influence is. But it, it reminds me that when we were first introduced to Kolinar mm-hmm. and Asudan, it was during that time, we were never directly introduced to her. When we were introduced to the Ardent who was killed, she complained about Asudan always feasting and having parties. Yes. So it leads me to believe that that influence had started prior to that, that this has been happening mm-hmm. before we had actually even encountered her. So her motivations in this case, which is not to say that she is or isn't a good person without that influence, but that they were tainted mm-hmm. by this influence of the unmade. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Chapter 69 is called Free Meal, No Strings. Also. Nice. <laughs> in this chapter, the Kolinar infiltration gang goes to a party. Kaladin decides to skip it and ends up getting invited to dinner with some of the wall guard. So this chapter, for me, was an exploration of Kaladin versus Adolin and kind of comparing and contrasting their two characters. And also a tiny bit of a an argue, argument for the merits of a strict caste society. I don't know what Prentice Anderson was doing there. But Kaladin is really being forced to face his his whole beef with the light eyes. Yeah, over the next several chapters, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was very appreciative of of Scar and Drahi mm-hmm. in this chapter. So Kaladin says, Good dark-eyed people slave away, growing and preparing food. But the light eyes, they have so much storming time, they have to make up things to do. Hey, Scar, Dre said, you ever go out drinking, even when at war? Sure, Scar said. And back in my village, we'd have a dance in the storm shelter twice a month, even while boys were off fighting in the border skirmishes. It's not the same, Kaladin said. You're taking their side. Are there sides, Dre, he said? Apparently not. They're kind of giving it to him. Mic drop. Yeah, I really liked that interaction as well. And then it's interesting to see it play out a little bit later with Kaladin in the wall guard and these these tenors, so these very low-ranking light eyes, mm-hmm. have the same thoughts and feelings about the the middle-ranked light eyes who yeah. are a little bit better off. And Kaladin's kind of like, hey, wait a second. And he's like, but, uh, and I, well, we'll talk about that later. But- yeah, I mean, there were three of the main tenors that were there, Luciano, Pavarotti, that other guy. Yeah. 
I get jokes. Please tell me, Kaladin said, that you didn't bring us to live with your tailor just because you wanted a new wardrobe. Come on, Cal, Adolin said, which I noted, he didn't call him Bridge Boy. Mm-hmm. Three paragraphs later, Adolin saw that in the mirror. He just turned around, giving a bow. Don't worry, Bridge Boy, you can continue to wear clothing to match your scowl. <laughs> and I went, there it is. <laughs> We're back. Yeah, Adolin definitely has his flaws as well. I noted this about Kaladin, where he's talking about his his mood swings. And he says, he felt good a lot of days. Trouble was, on the bad days, that was hard to remember. At those times, for some reason, he felt like he had always been in darkness and always would be. My, I was like, damn, I relate to that. <laughs> my ne- My comment, my next one is, why was it so hard to remember? Did he have to keep slipping back down? Why couldn't he stay up here in the sunlight where everybody else lived? So we're both latching on to... You're putting our own experience. I, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly how it feels when you're depressed. I completely understood. Man, this Adolin is like... He's a pretty cool dude. Having fun with Scar, Drahi, going out drinking... Likes clothes, decent human being. Shame nobody figured out who killed Sadius. Right. Like, yeah, that's just still kind of dangling out there, isn't it? Yeah, just, you know, just just long enough for you to forget it. <laughs> Another thing I thought was important to note that at, w- at one point, they talk about the, the, the storm, the, not the ever storm, but just the regular storms, mm-hmm. you know, high storms, have raged since Roshar was new. And you've speculated a lot about, did they, is this something that was always on Roshar, or did they, were they caused by something? So that's just another little piece of evidence there. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. All right. It doesn't, it flies in the face of my prediction, so with confirmation bias intact, I will ignore that. Excellent. Okay. We also see Kaladin um, using a tiny bit of stormlight to see if it calls the yellow Fabriel police, and it does. Yeah. But Pattern explains that Shallan's use of stormlight is quieter, so her illusions aren't setting it off. But we would imagine if she tried to soul cast, it probably would. But they're, so they're kind of walking, you know, going over to the party that they're going to, you know, they're all going to hang out at different parties and try and information gather. And... Kaladin kind of goes his own way. And once he gets close to the wall guards, his illusion or parts of it start to drop away. Yeah. So there's something that is causing uh, Stormlight to dissipate or disrupting it or dispelling magic in some way. There's only two things I could see that it could be. Mm -hmm. Right at this same point... Kaladin makes an observation uh, about the type of stone, and it comes up multiple times throughout mm-hmm. uh, this section. And obviously, mm-hmm. Shallan's making the same observation all the time. But uh, he says he rested his hand on the smooth, strata-lined formation of stone, mm. and then immediately after that happened is when he was discovered. That is a good catch. So the only other thing that makes sense, um, and this, you know, we don't get this in this chapter, but... Um, but I get the sense that Azure is a radiant. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's a crazy observation to make. 
her troops appear to be taking on some of her qualities. Could it be that whatever power she has is somehow what's dispelling it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But those, to me, seem to be the two possibilities as to why that would have happened. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about High Marshal Azure. And that is the title of Chapter 70. In this chapter, Kaladin visits the Wall Guard's barracks. To his surprise, all the soldiers there are light eyes. To his even greater surprise, they aren't all total dicks. High Marshal Azure arrives and the surprises keep coming. He turns out to be a she, and she delivers a compelling argument for joining the Wall Guard. Kaladin suspects that she is another Radiant. This is the worst episode of Undercover Boss ever. <laughs> Hey, Cal, can you help me stack these pikes? <laughs> Gee, they sure do remind me of my dad. He was tall <laughs> right before he died. <laughs> Cue violin music. <laughs> Kaladin walks in wearing a fake beard. I don't know the king. <laughs> so High Marshal Azure has done a bang-up job here, but she definitely is surrounded with a lot of mystery. And some of that is probably necessary because... Her, you know, she's a woman, and that's traditionally not something that's accepted in the Alethi military. And I think it's interesting, the loyalty that she's inspired in her men, where the first rule of High Marshal Azure is, you don't talk about her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> he rallied our numbers, inspired <laughs> even the wounded to keep fighting. Storms felt like we had sprint at our backs, holding us up, helping us fight. High Marshal Azure? Did someone say High Marshal Azure? Yeah, I know High Marshal Azure. She's ten feet tall and has three tits. Each one's the head of Cerberus. <laughs> After a long day, she likes to draw a bath, unzip her skin, and pray to Beelzebub just like a regular human person. Her vagina has a penis, and her penis has teeth. <laughs> She's the only person to ever find Waldo. Did I ever tell you the story? The story of... My dick doesn't work. Anyway, did I ever tell you the story of John Henry and how it was inspired by High Marshal Azure? But instead of a rock quarry, it was mountains of cocaine, and the machine was her tits. <laughs> to High Marshal Azure! So the rest of the squad settled in, and a short man with hair on the back of his hands set down a thick bowl of stew and flatbread. And I thought, fucking hobbits. <laughs> so let's talk about high, let's dig into High Marshal Azure here for Do a second. It. Okay. These are the things we know about her. She fought like a void bringer. She's got a shard blade, but she doesn't dismiss it. And when, again, like you said, when her men were fighting with her, they felt like they had spren at her backs. She also has a very unusual name for an Alethi. In Alethkar, most of the names are at least a little bit of a palindrome. Yeah. And her name is a color. Oh, uh, uh, are you hinting that she might, she might have come over from Worldbringer or Warbreaker? Warbinder? I mean, it's interesting that she's got a... The, you know, her name is a color. It's a good point. I was sort of too busy noting Kaladin and his hypocrisy of what, but she's got a, 
She's got boobs. She's got boobs and a sword. You can't get, you don't get to both. (laughs) It's not fair. She's going to get pockets and the right to vote. (laughs) Well, I think you're meant to. This is something that, you know, if you read it like eight times, then you might be like, oh, her name is a color. Well, I mean, I noted that. I just, Mm -hmm. so I just sort of thought it's obviously not her real name. Mm -hmm. And she's trying I assumed it was somebody who's trying to hide their real identity, so they just took on a pseudonym, mm-hmm. and I didn't really think a lot about why Azure or if it meant anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but good call out. I will need more evidence before deciding that she's from the world of Warbreaker. I, that is Okay. Just but putting it out there. It's a good piece of evidence. The so. last time we saw Vasher, he was in the company of Vivenna and Nightblood. And so far, we've seen Vasher and Nightblood on Roshar. Now, who knows what's happened between now and then, but... So you think that could be Vivenna? That is the theory. Interesting. Okay. I would not have put that together. That is the theory. I like it. Chapter 71 is called A Sign of Humanity. This is a flashback chapter. And in this chapter, Evie's passive-aggressive bullshit finally pushes Dalinar over the edge into acting like a decent person. In a meeting with Tanalan, Dalinar concocts a scheme that will allow the Lord to surrender without losing face. So the first thing I noted was, this is 11 years ago. That's not that long. I have sweatshirts that are way older than 11 years. (laughs) So when you think about Dalinar's reputation and how people react to him and that you're like, sometimes it, you know, when we meet Dalinar, he's this completely different person and it's a little frustrating the way people react to him. Like your perception is like, oh, you know, he's not that person anymore, but like, oh no, only like a decade ago, he was doing completely hideous things on the battlefield. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know, it's sort of interesting. Our first interaction with Dalinar is not in a flattering way. It's him passed mm-hmm. out, you know, when his brother gets assassinated and, you know, just being sort of an alcoholic, useless, no good. And for all that, it never, ever crossed my mind to ask, you know, if there was a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a reason why he you know, crawled into a bottle. I just sort of assumed that's who he was. Mm-hmm. And he'd always been that way. Didn't think to ask any sort of questions, you know, further about it. Of course, I didn't have any evidence to go off of either. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the next time we see him, he's standing there, you know, chiseled jaw, being noble, mm-hmm. doing the right thing, you know, and, and now we get to get a sense of why he decided to crawl into a bottle. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's my question. Do you like Evie? Honestly, I think Evie is, I like what Evie's trying to do. I like that she's, you know, trying to hold him to some higher standard and some humanity, calling him out Mm -hmm. on, and calling the Alethi out on their attitude. But I don't find Evie to be a particularly strong character or a particularly likable character. I feel the same way, and I want to like her. Uh, My gut reaction to her is, you know, 
because I understand why she married Dalinar, and it's explained very well that she really didn't have a choice. She's fleeing her homeland. She needed the protection, you know, the protection of Alethkar. She needed someone who would protect her and her brother. However, at the same time, there was no question in anyone's mind what kind of person Dalinar was oh, yeah. when she married him. And I, I, I feel like it, like I hate when stories perpetuate that myth of. If your love is powerful enough, you'll change <laughs> that abusive, violent asshole. Like, like yeah. guess what? That doesn't ever actually happen. You Not know? until after he's burned you to death. But that I think that's why so many... Um, it's just such a popular trope in in romance and in everything, you know? The guy who's kind of an asshole to you at first, you know, but... but but the power of your love is so strong that he can't resist then completely changing his personality. And like how many, I just don't, and, and I know that there's a correlation on, you know, with. Because it's a real phenomenon. It's a real phenomenon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the same time. So it just, for me, that's what this kind of stinks of is like, like he was a horrible, basically serial killer. And, you know, and, and I can't connect with, Dalinar's feelings for Evie because they all happen off screen. It's like he goes from like this kind of lukewarm, like, eh, I like her hair, you know, to like all of a sudden he, and then then he's like annoyed. And all of a sudden he's like, I don't deserve this woman. It's like, when did that happen? What, what caused that? It doesn't feel earned to me. I mean, it's just supposed, you're just supposed to sort of take that they've been living together for a long time and he's grown to like her. But again, with no real evidence, for why it would be. For, yeah, I feel like I needed a moment to show that happening. Like, what what changed his feelings towards her? Or is it something else that's working through her that's causing? Because I, I do see some kind of innate desire to change in Dalinar, you know? And I definitely think the thrill is an exterior negative influence. Agreed. yeah, yeah. Like, that, there's some kind of supernatural thing going on there, and we've oh, talked sure. about yeah. that. And especially in, in one of the upcoming chapters where he says the, the men around him have the thrill and their eyes are a little, you know, they're glowing. It's so. spiritual PCP. Yeah. So, so he's he on got, a sherm. He's got this battle against the thrill and this kind of malevolent force that takes over when he fights. So there is some of that, but, but a lot of it is, is that he's got this kind of pacifist wife and that's, you know, what's motivating his change. And I don't, I just don't, connect with that very well brief aside i watched the movie reality bites recently oh, shit. <laughs> i've i've been on a kick where every once in a while i like to go back and watch a movie from the 80s or 90s oh, yeah. and see if it holds up uh-huh. and sometimes movies that you remember fondly you look back on and you go oh god that movie sucked why does did it, i like it does it hold up reality bites holds up I believe that. I watched that movie four times when it was in the theaters. Except for one thing. Ethan Hawke is a dick. The ending is awful. Yes. It's one of the worst endings <laughs> ever. And it's basically just what you said. It doesn't matter if he's a dick to you and he's nasty and he's mean to you. If you have a cute pixie cut and love him enough, mm-hmm. everything will be okay. And, you'll and you leave can just cute rob your, your dad to get yourself out of your financial problems. You know, it... <laughs> Yeah. So the movie, the movie overall still holds mm-hmm. up, but it also still has a really shitty ending, and it all entirely comes down to 
um, to that. It all comes down to that. Did you know the person solely responsible for that ending? Ben Stiller. Really? That is not the original ending that the author wrote. What was the original ending? She left both of them. Good for her. Ben Stiller, what? It may have been pressure from the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, he was the one who made that decision. Interesting. Because he was the executive producer. or uh, He was the director, rather, of that that movie, which I did not know. That is definitely one of those movies that I watched it when I was, you know, 16 or whatever, and it was transformative. And I was like, of course she loves Ethan Hawke. Look at his floppy hair. He's amazing. And then I watched it, like, you know, as a as a late 20s, early 30s, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. What is wrong here? Yeah. So many flags. Like, oh my God. Maturity has just ruined Ethan Hawke for me. Absolutely, yeah. He had a short shelf life. Right? So just saying, if your man likes to slaughter people with his eating knife... <laughs> he's probably not going to change that yeah that's the first time just you met him just because you're like yeah. please don't slaughter might, people might be a red, might she's be a like, red flag I just see a darkness in you I don't know like the first time you met him he cut a dude's throat man <laughs> were you surprised <laughs> yeah. it's like I just don't understand with this yeah that's not that's <laughs> not seeing a darkness that's a memory <laughs> memory <laughs> come on Evie so my my notes uh, for this chapter all have more to do with plot stuff. Mm-hmm. First, I would love to say that at this point, I saw the trap coming. Mm. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went back, you know, and I read through it a second time, and I'm reading through it a second time with the benefit of, of hindsight. It's, you know, it's all very obvious. But I feel like I feel like Dalinar should have seen it coming. Mm. So he says, though I would like to have known who was bringing supplies to the rift, that might have been an attempt to draw you away into a skirmish. This was um, uh, one one of his generals. I can't remember mm-hmm. Teleb, I think, who said who said this. And I sort of feel like Dalinar should have seen it coming. Also, as a as sort of a card for Tanalan to play. Mm-hmm. Like, this was an incredibly risky, long shot mm-hmm. plan. Like, I hope to God he had several other plans leading up to this that for one reason or another fell apart. Well, none of them worked, obviously. Yeah, yeah clearly. Because this is just one of the, like, so many things had to go right. Um, not least of which that Sadius had to show up when Sadius showed up. Dalinar had to fall for it. He, you know, he had to trick the the he had to you know convert the scouts over. There, there were so many things that had to go the way it went. For well, Sadia showing up actually messed up Tanalan's plan. He had his men disguised in Sadius's colors. I would argue that point because they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. The primary objective, right, of getting the Blackthorn mm-hmm. isolated and trapped and away and and he should have died. And killed most of his his and, best soldiers. Yeah, yeah. So it may not have allowed the plan to go off without a, a hitch at all, mm-hmm. but it accomplished the major portion of what mm-hmm. they wanted to accomplish. Right, because when Dalinar showed up, what they were getting ready to do is settle in for like a protracted siege and wait for the king to show up. 
So Tanalan, if if Dalinar had not had this kind of superhuman, you know, ability to crawl his way out of a landslide, kill everyone that was sent there to find him, and then walk however many miles back mm-hmm. to the camp, that's what would have happened. And Tanalan yeah. would have been a lot better off. Yeah. This was end of the game, down by two points, half court haymaker shot at the Mm -hmm. buzzer Mm -hmm. and it sinks yeah i mean it really it really was but i hope to god there were other plans (laughs) i hope that wasn't his only plan (laughs) chapter 72 is called rockfall vale and her crew sneak into a mansion in order to steal some food they hope to be able to bribe the cult of moments with sausage which honestly i have to respect shallan slash vale's identity crisis seems to be coming to a head Speaking of heads, Shallan gets shot in hers with a crossbow. Ouch. She disturbingly shakes it off, then distributes the food she stole in order to attract the cult's attention. Sister took a crossbow bolt to the head. I don't know, man. I feel like a crossbow bolt to the head probably should kill a Radiant. Like (laughs) Brandon Sanderson has said you would literally have to decapitate a Radiant to kill them. So that just makes, that's the first note I had is, how are the Radiants, like, ever defeated? But then I thought about it, and they they weren't. They were given some horrible, crushing truth. knowledge yeah. and truth that caused them to, to abandon, away. you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in, in that context, it kind of makes it interesting that they're, they're basically undefeatable in battle. You know, as long as they have access to Stormlight, you can't defeat them. But yeah. yet, mm-hmm. someone or something managed to completely wipe out their influence and, like, devastate every single order with one revelation. Yeah, that's true. And that and that is interesting. And we have also seen that there are devices and things, even, even a couple chapters ago, that can somehow dismiss or dispel Stormlight. Right. So there are ways of doing it. Right. Probably not on a large scale. Right. The Larkins. Who, yeah. But who who knows how widespread that'll be at the end. At some level, they're all going to be standing around throwing fireballs at each other. Yes, fireball, fireball. So also, holy Sybil, Batman. Oh, I know, yeah. losing it. Why shouldn't she be served by the best? She was a Knight's Radiant. I mean, this she's been in this lady's head for five minutes, and she's... Vatha, you are a scum of the earth. You are not fit to serve me. <laughs> it's a little scary. So Shalon is now really kind of going to lose her ability to take on disguises because she so quickly becomes whoever that is that she is disguising herself as. Yeah, how do you how do you maintain your own agency and keep your own plans moving forward? by impersonating somebody if the minute you impersonate them you become them well and the problem and this is i i think what pattern has probably been prodding her towards is the mm-hmm. fact that she hasn't decided who she is so if she is equally veil and shallan and radiant then yeah she's gonna have to choose a core identity she's gonna have to settle on that i mean you look at like the way she flip-flops between her personalities here you know she has to she, they they sneak in. She's Veil, but not quite Veil. Mm-hmm. Veil with like a bigger nose, yeah. you know. And but then she has to turn back into Shallan in order to draw. Like she's going to draw something, but Veil can't draw, so she has to turn back into Shallan. And then you know it says like she became Veil fully, 
and then Vale became the woman who was not quite Vale with the dimples, and then layered on top of that, she became Nananov. You're like, what? Yeah. I mean, earlier in this section, we see her as Vale thinking about her brothers, and, and I take that as a, as a sign of encouragement. Mm-hmm. And then we have this this episode, and I'm like, oh no, this is this is worse. This is way worse. And you know, as disappointed as I was about how Dalinar's character arc was being propelled and explored, you know, in the last chapter, like I'm geeking out about Shallan's development and how this is all playing out for her. And it's interesting because they're both an exploration of identity and they're both an exploration of the importance of knowing who you are, but Shallan's crisis just feels more honest to me because it's not it's not being propelled forward by her feelings for someone else, you know? Yeah, not only for somebody else, but it's a little bit of the, she's not like other girls girl. You know, Evie, Evie changed me. Evie, you know, changed me at my core and, you know, my regret and, my, and her death has caused me to be a better man because she was so special and amazing. Not sure why. <laughs> I I conveniently can't remember why. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't connect with that the same way that I, but when Shalon is having this identity crisis, I'm like, I'm like, this chick is losing her shit and I am here for it. Like, I, I, I think it's fascinating. The one thing I'll say about Dalinar is... I think it would be a little unfair to say that his entire personality change is 100% because of Evie. Absolutely not. I, yeah, I would I would agree with you. I think it it's being kind of put forward as the most obvious motivation, which to me is why I I I don't I'm not here for it as much, but I definitely think it's also like I said there's also a supernatural element going on with forces trying to in- influencing people and and all of that. And he's also got some internal motivation as well because he doesn't, you know, I don't think he actually likes, he's not actually a serial killer. No, because like you said, the thrill is this sort of external evil thing that seems to inhabit all the Alethi. Also, I think the death of his brother was a big part of it because mm-hmm. unlike, you know, unlike all the stuff with Evie, which he can't remember, mm-hmm. so it suffers as a motivation, he, now he was passed out when his brother died, but he remembers it. He remembers the events leading up to it. He feels guilt over mm-hmm. being drunk and not being able to help. That's something he lived and suffered through. Mm-hmm. Whereas the memories of Evie were taken away from him. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Gavilar's death was a big part of his motivation as well. I would agree with that. And it was probably a bigger part. And it's why I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with Dalinar's character arc in general I actually I think it's pretty compelling what I was I was trying to put my finger on why I don't like the scenes with Evie very much and and again I'm always like am I just like a misogynist when I don't like a female character like (laughs) you're such a misogynist Liz (laughs) you know why why don't I when I why do I like feel like I want to roll my eyes a little with this character and I think it's because of that dynamic as she is being put forward as you know, like, oh, I just want to impress her. I just, I don't deserve this woman. And I'm like, but she hasn't really done anything that feels like she earned that, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it feels like 
when you have a character like that in literature, it feels like it's just a placeholder. Like they're just, we need someone, we need him to feel this way about someone. Plunk, there you go. Here's, mm-hmm. you know. Make her, make her pretty and quiet. Here's a blonde chick. Yeah. So yeah, that's my quibble with Abby. I only have one other note for this chapter. Early in the chapter, there's a quote that says, if Stone met a man, Stone might yes. win. But if Stone met humanity, then no force could preserve it. I wrote that one down too. Did you? Now listen, I don't know what the hell's going on in this story with Stone, but something's going on. There's, It's just from the very beginning of The Way of Kings, you know, when when Seth talks about stone walkers and all these things, there's some tie in and we're just seeing so many references to it, but there's, but there's, there's simply just breadcrumbs that are being dropped with no breadcrumbs that are being dropped miles apart. There's no way I can connect them or figure out what it means. I'm sure it's, I feel like it somehow ties in with creme as well, but I just, there's just not enough information here. I think that's an excellent point. Chapter 73 is called Telling Witch Stories. Kaladin continues his infiltration of the wall guards. He's surprised to learn that low-ranking light eyes have lives and feelings that are not unlike his own. The guard fights off a Parshendi attack and distributes some grain, but Cal is not any closer discovering what is actually up with High Marshal Azure. Stuff it, Beard, Ved said. You did not meet the Blackthorn. I did, the other soldier said. He complimented me on my uniform and gave me his own knife for valor. Did someone say Dalinar Colon? Let me tell you about Dalinar Colon. He's a hell of a man. Goes about six foot four, 275 pounds. Fathered all my children. He was the entire 1972 Minnesota Vikings offensive line. He made a honey badger care. He's a horrible person. He once made love to a Coca-Cola vending machine. The vending machine gave birth to a bottle of vodka. Did I ever tell you about the time Dalinar Colon starred in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar? He killed his wife. (laughs) Anyway, during the Last Supper, he ate the entire cast. It played in 39 cities. I once saw him defeat a chasm fiend in single combat. When he was done, he chugged a keg of beer. He burped, and his burp breathed life back into the chasm fiend. His television is permanently set to 1972. When Dalinar was one years old, High Lord Nevin stole his nose. Six months later, he stole it back. To To Dalinar Dalinar Colon. So listen, every time I see chowda, uh-huh. all I hear is a Bostonian saying chowder. Yes. Chowda. I think you're meant to. All right. Okay, good. I think all you're right. meant to. And it makes me hungry. Someone has to have come up with a chowda recipe. Who's done it on the 17th shard? I'm going to look it up. If not, I'm going to do it. Figure it out. I'm yep. making some chowda. Make it happen. So my favorite part in this was, was Calvin's whole like... Trying to talk, forgetting that he was a lot. Be like, it sure is nice being a light eyes like we are just, with our light eyes. <laughs> of course, I have light eyes. I just, don't have brown just eyes. Like, just like you. I mean, <laughs> my eyes are lighter than the dark eyes of the dark eyes. Darky, dark, dark, dark. 
Is that Adolin Colin? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. Adolin, I can't talk right now. What? I can't talk right now. <laughs> yeah. He is not too slick. <laughs> Beard says, Cal, my kip. Kip was one of those slang words that Kaladin hadn't quite figured out yet. You're a good fellow. I like how you see the best in folks. Perhaps it's Kaladin who is actually adopting a different personality. I feel like this might be a learning moment for him in this, as he's pretending to be somebody else. Right. Interesting. In my Kindle, that was highlighted. A lot of people have highlighted that. It's, you know, every time he goes in there and he engages in the bum dribble and the scutch putting, well, the fripple frabble, I'm just making up words. I can make up words, too. I can make up words, too. I don't know. There's a lot of words I don't know. (laughs) Those could have been real words. I was trying to... They've all got their slang, you know. It's a military thing. (laughs) So, again, I have this quote. When they got back to the wall, Kaladin felt like a man seeing land after swimming all the way to Thalina. He pressed his palm against the stone, feeling its cool, rough grain, drawing a sense of safety from it, much as he would draw out stormlight. Another one. Another stone reference. Mm-hmm. A couple of things I noted. The cult of moments, they claim that the spren of the night rid them of their pain. And... It, in the next chapter, we see the voice that's whispering to Shalon tells her to give up her pain, give up her passions. And I also hmm. noted that the city really seems fixated on the ardent's death, like above any of the other bad stuff that's going down in the city. Yeah, right. It all right. comes back to that one incident. And that feels a little supernatural to me as well. It does because, well, I mean, just to your point, so many things have so many people have died or gone wrong. You know, that one public execution shouldn't have been that big of a deal. And we saw even in Eurothero, there was like a public hanging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, people weren't like blasé about it. Mm-hmm. But still, it wasn't, it didn't like cause a revolt or anything. Yeah. So it seems like an execution in and of itself would not be enough to stick in everyone's collective memory. I don't know. Yeah. It is, it, it's a good point. Cal also notes that the High Marshal's shard blade is odd. There's no gemstone on it. Mm-hmm. So he suspects that she has an honor blade. And Beard tells us that when he gets close to the palace, he heard voices whispering for him to join them. Join us. Join us. Join us. <laughs> We've got 12-sided die. You want to be a dookie? <laughs> Okay, I heard it. It's just terrible. Yeah, right? You heard it. You heard (laughs) it that time, right? (laughs) Chapter 74 is called Swift Spren. Shallan experiences some weird shit while masquerading as Swift Spren, her latest alter ego. But it gets her an invite to the cult's feast. She sketches Elokar and makes him cry. Swift Spren? Did somebody say Swift Spren? Hell Yeah. I know the Swift Spren. She's 12 feet tall and made of lightning. She once dunked on Shaquille O'Neal. She invented modern dentistry. I think she's schizophrenic. One time, she took me fishing. I use ice cream as a suppository. Anyway. We ran out of bait. Swift Spren jumped into the water. She walked along the bottom of the ocean and all the fish followed her. Long John Silvers was founded upon the very beach where she came ashore. Virginia Woolf is afraid of her. (laughs) 
She died three years ago, but we're all too afraid to tell her. She uses white spines as roller skates. She did all the CGI in Lord of the Rings. The, the Swift, Swift Spread. <laughs> There's some characters in this uh, in this section. Some real characters. Absolutely. So, um, let's tip our hats to Grund. Is there a better urchin name? No, that. Like, yeah. if you want your kid to grow up to be a street urchin, name him Grund. There's only one name that could possibly be better. What? Spit. Spit. <laughs> this is my child, Spit. I've decided I want him to be a low-level member of a really cheesy gang. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of limited there, bud. So, Shalon becomes Swift's friend because she finds out that that's what people have been calling her. They've been noting her going around in her... Carmen San Diego outfit, giving out food. So they call her the Swift Spren. And when she runs into this, the cult of moments coming by, I thought was cool was that she was able to replicate the Spren that she drew while she was looking at the the the, the big underwater creature way back in the first book hmm. with the kind of arrows and everything. And she was able to kind of replicate that as part of her costume. Oh, I forgot about that. Making the cult look like think that she was a real spren that's interesting yeah and then she was like you dumbasses go home what's wrong with you well and the thing we haven't really said about shallan's behavior in this section yet is 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 how much she's trying to find a way to do the role that elicar set her out to do Mm -hmm. but also trying to have a real and meaningful impact on the people's lives not just handing them food but like how can i how can I make a real difference? Not just for a handful of people. What can I do? So her motivations are really impressive. Mm-hmm. And she's just finding unique and creative in different ways to stay within the framework of the bigger picture, but also sort of deliver the maximum value to people around her. So it's it's impressive what she's doing. And we haven't really pointed that out overtly. So I, I just wanted to take a, take a nod mm-hmm. and say... To Shalon. No. <laughs> I know Shalon. No. Indeed. And I, I think you definitely see core characteristics of her personality that are there and her kind of compassion and her curiosity, I think, are there in all three of her personalities. And I just think it's cool to watch her express those traits in different ways and kind of go back and forth. You know, Vale wants to have a direct impact on the people, um, whereas Shalon wants to kind of follow a big picture and be able to to fix the problem at its source. Mm-hmm. But you're right. In both ways, she's she's got that altruism and wanting to make things better. I pointed out, I, I picked out that Pattern uh, was pointing out to her that, hey, so she gets drawn into this persona of swift spren and like all of a sudden she starts hearing voices mm-hmm. telling her to give up her passion and her pain and so she's definitely fragmenting and when pattern is pointing that out to her he sounds drowsy and kind of far away and it made me think of like when kaladin was starting to let go of his ideals yeah. the way that sill started to act so it makes you wonder is is he is that going to start happening with him if she doesn't get her shit together? Because her ideals seem to be, you know, less about finding words and more about discovering 
truths about herself. Yeah, and the more she lives outside of that truth about herself, it seems like the more distant mm-hmm. he becomes. My my sort of comment on it, because I wrote down some of the same uh, notes, particularly about you know the quote about give me your passion, mm-hmm. which we've heard multiple times. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, are they trying to tell us that the unmade and Voronism share something in common or you know that that Voronism is in direct opposition to the unmade I don't know but but I just wonder if the use of the word passion as in the passions is mm-hmm. is not coincidental I think you're probably right because it's even in this chapter that the passions are mentioned and yeah. and she thinks the passions are a heresy so I I think that's a really good point so she's saved, however, by wits singing. She's like she's in this place where she, I think she becomes Swift's friend, and, and her she, just her personality just starts going fragmenting, and she's she can't pull herself back. Wits up there with his ukulele, and he's singing, "Rub it, dub, dub. If you go to the palace, they'll stab you again." <laughs> right? Don't go to the palace. <laughs> I only have one other note in this chapter, and it's actually about Elicar. Towards the end of the chapter, I think it's towards the end. He looks down at Shalon when Pattern is there, and he says, what's that design on your skirt? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems familiar to me, he said. Mm-hmm. And that's just a reminder because it's been, you know, 1,500, mm-hmm. 1,800 pages right. since we remembered that Elicar was, you know, right on the verge mm-hmm. of becoming a radiant of the same school, mm-hmm. or I can't remember, I can never remember the names of them. A light uh, weaver. A light weaver, just like Shalon is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that hasn't gone away. That's still a potential possibility mm-hmm. that can happen at some point. And it's also, I think, important to think about, too, and it, this is really kind of just occurring to me, so I'm, um, but the light weaver's, come into their powers differently. It's not about finding the words so much. And and they do have to find the words at first, but also it's about finding truths about themselves. And it just, I, I think it, it makes you wonder what it what it was about Elokar that he wasn't able to face about himself. You know, and Shalon kind of came into her powers when she was able to say, you know, I killed my father, I killed my mother, like facing those things about herself. Yeah. This makes you wonder what it is about Elkar that he hasn't been able to face about himself in the past. And is that the process he's going through now of, of being able to look at who he really is? Yeah. So I thought we would look at the next two chapters together because they're one arc. They're one sort of flashback arc. So it works for me. I'm going to read both the recaps back to back. But chapter 75 is called Only Red, and chapter 76 is called An Animal. Dalinar is chasing down Sadius, who's rumored to be a traitor. When he reaches his quarry, he realizes that he's been tricked. A landslide crushes him and his men. He barely makes it back to his camp alive. Consumed by the thrill and enraged by Tanalan's betrayal, he makes the most metal declaration of revenge ever. (laughs) And in chapter 76... Dalinar burns the fuck out of Rathalas and then accidentally burns his wife in the process. Oh. It's kind of good that you put them together because for chapter 75, I only had one note mm-hmm. and it was this. What? Is, what is that? I Do I hear singing? Is that 
what is that song? Is that The Reigns of Castamere? <laughs> right. Uh, so for the record, this is way worse than Shallan killing her dad. Yes, this is pretty much, this is really kicked up a notch here. <laughs> I mean, this is way worse. Yeah, this is this is definitely kicked up a notch. So my next note is Dalinar, you know, after he gets trapped, he walks back, he's dragging his shard blade. Oh, he busts out of that landslide like the Kool-Aid man. Right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> he walks back into their tent, you know, and uh, high storms were one thing. But there was a more terrible force upon the land, and it carried a shard blade. Oh, this is the one I wrote down. We will make a pyre of this city, and there shall be no weeping for its passing, for none will remain to weep. (laughs) I was like, so metal! Man, if only Kaladin had been there, he would have written some awesome 70s psychedelic (laughs) organ rock. And then I just... And the rift become a funeral pyre. I mean, he does, uh, the Blackthorn in these two chapters gives me, gave me the shivers a couple of times. An envoy is coming. Shoot them dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are not playing anymore. No, we are not fucking around. So listen, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Let's just get right down to the most base elements of ourselves. Mm-hmm. All right. Fire joke off. Go. Evie joke off? Burning Evie joke off. Okay. All right, I'll start. This chapter is sponsored by Newports. (laughs) Hey, have you heard the rumor that Evie's a pothead? I don't know. Someone told me she was a real burnout. (laughs) (laughs) Well... The good thing is that Dalinar still holds a torch for her. <laughs> Morning, Miss Evie. Hot enough for you? I don't know. I heard Dalinar's wife is getting some notoriety over in Rathalas. But she's already had her 15 minutes of flame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That seems extreme to me, Liz. Everything he did, I mean, he could have just let them off with a warming. Hey, Dalinar's wife is hot. How hot is she? So hot she died. Oh, <laughs> listen, this frat party got way out of hand. <laughs> Evie stopped and she dropped, but it was too late. <laughs> Your turn. I can't think of any more. Listen, all right, she's dead. Okay, (laughs) she's dead. All right. But was she carrying marshmallows? Because, you know, marshmallows. (laughs) Amazingly, no Bibles were burned by the flames because this is Roshar. They don't have Bibles. (laughs) But Dalinar, we threw Evie into the fire. Why did you throw her in the fire? Because she was doing math without a calculator. Because she tried to make us read. Because she talked to me before I had my coffee. 
Because she weighed the same as a duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Evie got burned so bad, Regina George was like, that's fetch. <laughs> Evie got burned so bad, Smokey the Bear was like, it's too late, man. Dalinar, stop. Don't burn it. Teleb, we, we didn't. But Evie used the wrong iPhone charger. <laughs> Evie, stay away from the rift. You'll get burned. Then the rift said, Evie is as useless as a bowl of condoms at Charlie Sheen's house. <laughs> Evie looks like she just won a dry t-shirt contest. I'm not saying Evie's dumb, but I saw her at the store the other day saying, put down those vitamins, Renard. You want to get autism? <laughs> I'm not saying Evie is boring, but a group of Evies is called a beige. <laughs> Everything about her is extra medium. Extra medium. Her safe word is, don't kill me. <laughs> her glyph word says, I'd like to speak to the manager. <laughs> I mean, listen, you guys deserve better jokes than this. <laughs> You're not going to get it, but you deserve it. All right, and I have one, one last joke okay did you hear what dalinar did to his xbox no he set it on fire (laughs) (laughs) oh i don't know if i'm gonna be okay (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this—that's quality content. I feel purged. I feel. <laughs> it's okay. She's not real. I know. Just... But she did get roasted. <laughs> she did. See, we shouldn't have called it the Evie joke off. We should have called it the roast of Evie. The roast of Evie. Ah. Uh, All right. Start over from another time. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the actual chapters. All right. Fine. Just for a little bit. The left side of Evie's face was scorched, nauseating, but the right side had been down towards the stone. Mm. It was oddly untouched. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Again. Mm-hmm. Again. I noted the conversation between Sadius and Dalinar because they're discussing what they're going to do. And Sadius is like, do it, do it, do it. And they don't let Gavilar in on the plan because they want him to have plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. But Sadius says to Dalinar, I would cut out my own heart before betraying Gavilar. And we know that this is the seed that is planted that makes Dalinar trust Sadius for way longer than he should trust him. Mm-hmm. And Dalinar confesses that he turned on Gavilar one time. And then he didn't because he said there has to be someone in the kingdom capable of doing what needs to be done. And it can't be the man sitting on the throne. So they both have this weird... Uh, I don't want to call it an altruistic motive, but this weird thing that they want a united Alethkar. That's their mm-hmm. their driving force at this point. And they're very real politique about their roles. Yes. I just sort of noted that... I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No. I just sort of noted that Sadius seemed highly motivated to destroy all the evidence. Hmm. That is a very good point. It's like, burn it all. I know what Teleb says. He's a pussy. (laughs) That is a very good point. I just, for me, what was most striking about this chapter is how you have this, like, 
I don't know, for me, I had this sort of righteous vengeance, like, yeah, when he, especially when he burns out that hidey hole and he's, because you're like, he just came off of this betrayal and you had this moment where you thought that Tanalan was going to, he was going to let him go and you're like, oh, okay, you know, and, and then you're just like, yeah, fuck you, Tanalan, like, and, and so for me, it just really works emotionally and then finding out that he did kill his own wife, even though I'm not particularly attached to that character, but... For I don't know, this just really works well for me from like, it kind of hit the right emotional notes. It's tricky. Now that we sort of know, now that I know this about Dalinar, because we like, you know, and I don't mind characters that are gray or characters that make a heel turn. You know, Jamie Lannister is one of my favorite characters. He pushed a boy out a window. You know, and we have Dalinar, who everything we've seen up to this point is him being a legitimately good person trying to do the right thing and trying to be honorable. Then we learn this about him. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be very easy on the surface of it to say he's a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Like he's, and, and by the way, I'm not denying that at least 11 years ago he was an absolute mm-hmm. total monster. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, as you stated earlier, the thrill is such a huge part of this, and it's so obviously an external malevolent force, Mm -hmm. throws a lot of questions into how much is he responsible for. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I'm still going to say he's responsible for it, because Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like it's, I sort of equate it to, to people who say, it's not my fault, I did it while I was drunk. Right. You had to put the alcohol in you, Mm -hmm. and you had to swing that sword the first time Mm -hmm. for the thrill to come on. Mm -hmm. That is a very good analogy, because another thing that I noted was the thrill really kind of came, like, snuck up on him, because he had this moment where he was meeting with Tantalan, and he felt this, this, he felt it tempting him, but then he was balanced with Evie, you know, wanting evie to think well of him and he says you know you're lucky you know today's today i'm the kind of person that doesn't want to kill you and he pushes the thrill aside and then this thing happens which just absolutely enrages him and doesn't he doesn't even consider putting the thrill aside yeah um so it just reminded me of an alcoholic you know being being tempted back to that behavior so it's interesting that you made that analogy yeah and also that you know, after he ends up in the trap and he sort of, you know, succumbs to the thrill, what is his motivation? At no, Like, I don't remember at any point him being like, I have to get back to my men. Something has gone terribly wrong. Tantalan could have, could be destroying them all now. It's like, you duped me. Mm-hmm. I will fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. It's just straight up vengeance and pride. And I just, for me, that moment, like, I'm just like, that's so, I don't know, is that actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, that feels kind of wrong, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, fuck him up, you know? And when he comes back and he's like, there shall be none left to weep, I'm like, yeah. I Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> They're not it's real, dark. it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's kind of dark, though. So quality coverage. I think so. I think we. I think we did all right. I'm really excited to hear what you think at the end of part three. We shall find out next time. There are some turns ahead. So next time when we read through chapters seventy-seven through eighty-seven.
Good stuff. Indeed. Would you like to talk about some listener interactions? I would love that. So listen, I have to start by reminding folks that we have a subreddit on Reddit Mm. that Jen Nagel is doing a great job of moderating. She's all alone over there. (laughs) Like, there's not a lot going on. But if you're on Reddit, Mm -hmm. come come by, say hi to us, look for the Duke and Duchess podcast, uh, and and keep us company over there. Mm -hmm. So we have a couple of interactions on Twitter. Okay. So Matt Sagel, who is at MattSagel15, said... Almost finished my reread of Wise Men's Fear. So much fun listening to the pod every one to three chapters. Question. Gentlemen Bastards or Way of King series next? Pick for me, please. So if I had to pick, I would say jump into Way of Kings because you'll be able to catch up with us a little faster. See, and I said Gentlemen Bastards for Mm -hmm. the same reason. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, let me tell you, I would maybe start reading one, but if you're not into it, try the other one. You don't miss anything for, as far as the podcast. I don't think we have any inside jokes left over from the Gentleman Bastards that you would miss out on. It's interesting. It's exactly the opposite of what I said. I said, really? interesting. Said, go, go read Gentleman Bastards first because we're not done with Oathbringer yet. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to catch up too quickly. Uh, and there are probably some inside jokes in <laughs> the Gentleman Bastards. I don't, maybe I just don't remember our inside jokes. You know what? I, I, now that I think about it, I, I, we try to be sensitive and not carry inside jokes mm-hmm. over too far. Although I am never going to forget that you said that Dalinar burned his ex's box. <laughs> he burned his Xbox. So interesting. I guess interesting. The, I guess the point is let your heart lead you. <laughs> Zendrix, who is at Jess Zendrix, Zendrix, Z-E-N-D-R-E-X on Twitter said, Have you guys considered covering stuff by Asimov in the future? I know there's a short list and I wonder if he's on it. If you decide to cover his stuff, I recommend starting with Caves of Steel the first of the robot mystery novels. And then Ian James Crone followed up and saying, as a virgin to the Dune series, I was hoping to read along with them for the first book sometime in the future. Oh, that is a good suggestion as well. Both good suggestions. I've never, I mean, I say I've never read it. I read some Asimov when I was like young, when I was young. Right, right. Um, you know, sort of early foundational science fiction. But I, I just have never really read a lot of Asimov, so mm-hmm. it's just not really kind of come up on my radar screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think also, I don't think you've read a lot of Asimov either, have you, or am I? Yeah, I've read, again, in my early 20s, um, but it's been a long time since I, I've read any of, of Asimov stuff. I feel like we've had a really good, a lot of people talking about it on the Facebook group page, and, and I yeah. feel like we've had some people going on and, and kind of posting reviews of different Asimov books. So you're not on there, get on there. I do like the idea of covering the first few novels of Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like the the trouble with Dune is that, of course, like so many great series, the author died before he finished it. And then right. uh, his son is, you know, there's a this might be a controversial opinion, but I think most people will agree with me. He's just not the same writer. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like if you read from the beginning of Dune through to the end of God Emperor of Dune, Mm -hmm. it makes a nice tidy little arc, a good satisfying series. And you kind of don't need to read anything else. And there it's four books and none of them are all that long. I think the longest is like 600 pages and Mm -hmm. 
couple of them in the middle are only like two or three hundred pages. So, so it might be doable. Well, and I've read Dune, but not the others. Exactly. So there might might be some options there. We'll we'll see. No no decisions made yet. On the Facebook group page, Eric Allgaier says, I have a question for the group. Is there a Mormon hotline where I can report an author who gave chapter 69 the title Free Meal No Strings? <laughs> but I'm <bump-tsh. laughs> I didn't notice the chapter title. But that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Ian James Crone says, So how are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I got to use the word titular in a school assignment the other day. Nice. It was amazing. So you've gone back to taking classes again, so. Yes. So we have. And using the word titular. I'm pretty sure we have seven kids (laughs) in 14 activities each, so. (laughs) It feels that way. We do have, you know, I look fondly back. I used to look fondly back on the, the times when we didn't have a sports activity every single night. And now I look fondly back on the times when we only have one sports activity (laughs) because now we have at least two activities almost every day almost every day and it's amazing keeps us happen it does theo graham brown says full marks on your prediction there chad but i don't recall if you were specific about the death so i just wanted to know if you had it down as an accidental death or if you thought dalinar would actually kill her with his own hands uh, directly after hearing your predictions, I'd actually consider that maybe Evie would be killed by Gavilar, and this would be why Dalinar would have to get his memory erased so that he wouldn't destroy the kingdom. That would have that would have been a good mm-hmm. a good guess, uh, particularly when, as we stated, Evie's not been all that compelling, mm-hmm. or nor have we been given any reason to think that their relationship was something magical that he would need to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like his erasing his memory is more about it's not entirely about Evie. It's about everything he did mm-hmm. at the Rift. I don't know. I could be wrong there. Uh, but I never really said whether it would be on purpose or by accident. I sort of thought it would be more by accident, mm-hmm. but I never really said one way or the other. I mm-hmm. was just convinced that he was going to be responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Ian James Crone says, how do you feel about Brandon Sanderson attempting to make a redemption arc for a war criminal from your perspective as a veteran. Because we kind of talked about this with the exception of the uh, the veteran angle. I, I don't know how much my being a veteran plays into it. For me, I still have, I mean, I have a hard time trying to attempt to absolve Dalinar Mm -hmm. of what he did and sort of laying it at the feet of the supernatural force of the thrill. Because as I stated, you know, it sounds a lot like people, you know, making excuses for things uh, when they are under the influence of something that they elected to put in their body. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a lot of compassion for him. Um, But at the same point in time, I, I just don't feel like we can judge any one person where one act or action erases everything else that they've done. Mm-hmm. You know, Dalinar for most of his life was absolutely horrible and despicable uh, and a terrible, terrible person. But at the same point in time, he is now currently somebody who is doing an incredible amount of good for the world, so much so to the point where he might be one of the few people able to save it. Mm-hmm. 
And I just, I think you just have to almost like we've said with other characters in the past, you just have to accept that like Jamie Lannister is an awesome character and he still killed, tried to kill a boy. Mm -hmm. Like you can't get rid of one Mm -hmm. with the other. Both of those truths are, are, are there, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's sort of how I have to think about Dalinar now. Uh, But Dalinar is frankly just not as compelling. So it makes, unfortunately, in my shallowness, it makes me like him less and be less willing to go along with him because he's just not as compelling of a character. I think part of the part, the part of a redemption arc and the most, one of the most important parts is what price does the character pay and what is the turning point that brings them even to wanting redemption. And I'm not, I don't want to get super into this because we're running pretty long already, but I think it's neat to look at Dalinar kind of being motivated by Evie versus Jamie Lannister kind of being motivated by wanting to impress Brienne Mm -hmm. of Tarth. And for me, that's what part of makes that arc. Now, I mean, Jamie Lannister loses his hand. He gets into this really terrible situation and even though that's not directly related to what he did to Bran it's also like it's kind of like him paying a price and then having the example of this really honorable woman and at the same time no they also give you enough hints to know that he always really wanted to be known as honorable and that his you know the whole thing with him being the king killer and there's just there's a whole lot to talk about there we might have to go into it some other time but I think it's will be interesting to contrast the two and why we like one more than the other. Well, let's just say Dalinar essentially pays no price. I mean, his wife. But again, that whole thing, and again, for me, it comes back to, I don't buy into his feelings for Evie. She was just a quick flame anyway. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Susan King says, uh, Renarin said that the gems that they found in the library were an alphabet. Uh, reading the recent Snapters, though, makes me believe that this is a previous occupant's memories. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? As usual, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the Snapters because I just never do until somebody points it out to me and I have to go back and, and look mm-hmm. at it. It kind of makes sense to me, though. I I thought of it more of as a historical thing, but um, but it seems like it's more of a cipher that would allow them to diagnose or read historical things is sort of the way I thought of it. Yeah, the the gems, and if you read the Snapters, and when we get to the end of the part, we can go, you know, unpack those a little bit, but the Snapters are all record the recordings that were left in the gems, and they're the experiences of the last of the Radiants to live there right before they abandoned the tower. And it, that doesn't mean that they're not an alphabet, just like a written recording of someone's last thoughts would still contain letters. The the gems were just another way of them putting words into. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's how I understood it. Theo Graham Brown says, "For a minute, I expected Moash to somehow be the bright lord running the wall guards. But that would have been crazy. That would have been cool. I could see how that could happen. Yeah." And James Donald says, "Any theories on the jar inside Wit's pack or who he's in the city to visit? You know what's inside of that jar." Hell. <laughs> Hell itself. <laughs> I I um I almost wonder if like he somehow found a way to capture 
one of the weird perverted spren. Hmm. Doesn't seem like it's possible, hmm. but who knows? Everything about wit is weird, so hard to say. Eric Allgaier says, if this has been discussed already or if the Duchess thinks it's a spoiler to answer, then ignore the question. I'll let you read it. No, you're fine. Oh, okay. All right. On the arch graphic at the beginning of each chapter, there are different faces in the corner of the arches. Do we know who these faces are? I doubt they represent the main protagonist because the graphic at the center already does that. I've at least seen six different faces, so my guess is they're the heralds. Uh, but if so, any idea why they change every chapter? Also, I'm lazy, and I don't want to figure this out on my own. So if, you, if you're if you on the Facebook page, um, Jen Nagel posted a, a link to a, a chart of them all and who they are. And um, they are the heralds. And that is something that comes from the, the you know, the material that's at the end of the book, mm-hmm. the Ars Arcanum. And um, yeah. Cool. So you can follow that. Emily Pierce says, I might be too late, but I wanted to ask, you're not, you're, you're, you're not, but I wanted to ask if you thought what happened in the rift was Sadius manipulating Dalinar to the extreme or just Dalinar reacting true to his character of the Blackthorn. I think, I mean, I think it was a combination of both. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely think Sadius was actively manipulating him. Oh, to me, there's no question that Sadius was manipulating him. The Sadius has always been manipulating him, and he's finally, I think he sees, when he rolls in with his shard blade, like, digging a groove in the ground, and he's like, blah, you know, Sadius is like, yes, it's my time. <laughs> he has always just wanted to just turn Dalinar into a force of destruction, and that's exactly what he does. It's like, tell him, get me my spritzer. <laughs> exactly. It's my time to shine. You know, at the same time, Dalinar is an adult male who makes his own choices and should not be so easily swayed. He's accountable for his own actions. Yep. Jen Nagel says, no questions, but here's some great fan art of young Dalinar and his baby boys. And if you get on the Facebook group page on this thread, you can follow it. And it's pretty great. So Brian McClure has a few questions, some of which we already touched on the podcast. So we'll just answer the ones that we did not. He has a question about the three moons. He points out, could the three moons be an allegory for the Stormfather and his siblings? Oh, snap. That is a good point. Absolutely. Um, Or an allegory for honor, odium, and cultivation, or none of the above. I think that's a really good point. I don't think I ever thought of that before. That's interesting, yeah. I'd like to go back and sort of relook at it then with that perspective in mind. That's a that's a good one. And that makes me think like who you know, who then is the queen? Is there an allegory? Is there a correlation for the the queen? So yeah, I'd like to go re back uh, go back and relook at it from that perspective. That's a good idea. He says, Was Wit joking when he said there's a god that worships him? You know, it sort of crossed my mind in this chapter that Beard in his sort of outlandish stories and the way he tells them sounds a lot like wit mm-hmm. when he makes his weird outlandish mm-hmm. statements. So I, I I would suspect it's not legitimately mm-hmm. real, but I do almost wonder if there's something weird going on there, like wit is pretending mm-hmm. to be beard or something. He also says, did the thrill save Dalinar's life? I'm going to say no. I think his shard plate saved his life. Yeah. 
I'm going to say no. I think probably it's tempting to for him to think that. And at the time, he certainly probably seemed to think that he had no choice but to give in to it. But I'm going to say no. He also says, do you think Elicar would still have married his queen if he wasn't trying to live up to his super competent sister, father, and mother? That mm. is a really good point as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly a good point. I, I do think a, a central part of Elicar's character and his nature is that he's in this family surrounded by people who are phenomenally competent Mm -hmm. and he is not Mm -hmm. and what and you know and nonetheless he ended up you know inheriting the throne Mm -hmm. and he he knows or he feels inferior and how much that colors everything he does Mm -hmm. so i definitely i definitely think it's a huge factor Mm -hmm. whether you know whether or not he would have married the queen uh, who knows, but that certainly, he might be, I think, in some ways conflating competence with arrogance. Mm. But we haven't met enough of uh, Asadon to really know all that much about her. Right. We've only get her from other people's perspective. Lastly, he says, what does wit mean at the end of the story when he says, this is how the moon came to no loss? Who did the moon lose? Why is it important that she did? I don't know. I think that's another one that I'm going to have to go back and, mm-hmm. and look at and re reread. This The stories within a stories in these books are, it's not that they're less compelling because I like the stories in and of themselves, but I feel like they have less direct impact on mm-hmm. the plot mm-hmm. of this novel. It's like they might be, giving you more information about greater Cosmere themes, mm-hmm. and that might be sort of allegorical, um, whereas I feel like in some other books, they, they're they giving you direct, like, world-building stuff that will impact mm-hmm. the storyline. Right. And I, I don't feel like we see that as much here. You know, the story that Wit told with Kaladin, where the guy just kind of kept on running, he didn't give up. Right. You know, is sort of a, like, I think I can, I think I can, you know, the little train that could sort of thing. I don't think it was actually factually accurate. Mm-hmm. So so I tend to think of the stories that Witt tells us as being more thematic than having any literal corollaries. I think I would agree with that. Are we ready for predictions? We are. Let's uh, let's get these predictions done. Let's get it done. Get it done. All right. So prediction number one, Sadius was actually involved in the trap at the Rift. Okay. He wanted to burn down the city to destroy evidence of his treachery. I like it. I think he was involved. Uh, the spirits and emotions that are tainted by the unmade are the ones that uh, cause friends to become perverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the conversation with Wit in the restaurant, he says, Some men as they age grow wiser. I'm not one of those. For wisdom and I have always been across purposes, and I have yet to learn the tongue in which she speaks. And I wonder, is this the lady from uh, Oberdai in the fourth letter? The lady who doesn't like him? Mm. Is that somehow giving us a hint? Mm-hmm. Or is it, or is wisdom not actually personified here? I don't know. But I'm mm. my prediction is he's talking about mm. the character from Oberdai. Okay. That's all my predictions for this one. Those are some good predictions. Yeah, Quality podcast. All right. So next time, chapter 77 through 87. Yep. You can find us on 
Twitter at the DND Podcast. You can you can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Join our Facebook group page. Come find us on all the social medias at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. And as always, pimp us out, yo. Pimp us out. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.